Good morning. We have some new faces in the audience, and we want to welcome our visitors and, uh, and invite you back to any opportunity that you might have. And uh, we don't always uh, have the best band in town, as you've probably noticed, or the best coffee, or the best preacher, but we do have the love of Christ in this uh, church. And so, and that makes a difference. And I'm thankful for the difference that all of you have made in this season with the toys that were mentioned earlier. And also, thank you to all who took a name from the nursing home and brought gifts this morning for me to return to the nursing home with. I really appreciate your generosity in helping those who are sometimes forgotten. And, uh, and so I will bring those to the facility tomorrow and thank you for that love and that support and thank you for the love uh, that has been expressed to me in this season and for my family. My daughter's a little under the weather so they weren't able to make it with me today. Uh, but I hope all of you uh, have a good week and, and a good season and uh, it's an exciting time but it also can be a lonely time. Uh, there's people that we miss, there's people who have passed, there's people uh, that we don't see anymore in our lives, and uh, so I'm mindful of that today. Today I want to talk a little bit about salvation, because after all, that's kind of the most important subject that there is, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven. We sang, no tears in heaven. And God has tried to teach us about salvation in a lot of different ways. He's given us different pictures to be able to understand salvation. There's different pictures in Scripture to help us realize what salvation is, how it works. And one of the ways in which God expresses how salvation works is one of legality. And commonly when we talk about this as far as church doctrine and Scripture, we talk about justification. How to stand right with God and it's almost in a legal sense that God has given us in Scripture to think about it. So I want to talk about that a little bit today. And first I want to begin by talking about everybody's favorite subject, lawyers. Lawyers, yeah. You probably can turn on your television and you can find a good lawyer, or a lawyer, I don't know if they're good, pretty quick, right? Right? And when I was thinking about this and about lawyers in general, I wondered how many lawyers are there in the United States of America? And what would that say, not about the lawyers, because they're just kind of feeling the need, but what does that say about us as a country? But this is how many lawyers are in America right now practicing law. Some of those have been disbarred. But one million... 116,967 lawyers running around. What does that tell you about us? That we are litigation happy. We like to sue. We like to get into a court of law. We like to have our day in court. Now, some of that I'm not knocking because sometimes that's what you got to do. And in fact, it is a constitutional right to have a lawyer. It says in the Sixth Amendment, in all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial. 
by an impartial jury of the state and the district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. So it's a, it's a guaranteed right that if you get in trouble, what are you going to get? You're going to get a lawyer. Someone to help you in the process of law because there are a lot of things. It's, it's thorny. It's difficult. It's complicated sometimes to get a fair shake in a courtroom. But let's admit it. Lawyers don't have the best reputations, do they? They don't. I mean, and so I'm going to tell a story. And I could tell a story on preachers, too, because sometimes preachers don't always have the best reputations, do they? But this is for you, Steve. So there was a lawyer, and he was real happy about his new car. He got him a nice new Jaguar. And so he was really excited to show it out to all of his colleagues and to show that he's, he's been working hard. He's been charging a lot of hours. And in the midst of having that car, an 18-wheeler comes by and sideswipes the Jaguar. So he runs to a policeman nearby and he says, Someone swiped my Jaguar. It's going to be very difficult to fix. So let me tell you, I'm going to sue somebody. The policeman's like, You must be a lawyer. And he says, you lawyers are so materialistic. Here you are going on and on and on about your Jaguar, and you haven't even noticed that you're missing your left arm. <laughs> and the lawyer looks down and he says, my Rolex. <laughs> this isn't a Rolex, by the way. There's another story of Ulysses S. Grant. He goes into a tavern. It's a cold and wintry night. And there's some lawyers over by the fire. And one of the lawyers speaks up and says, Look, that man looks like he's been through hell. And Grant responded, I have. And they said, Well, what, what's it like down there? And he said, Well, it's much like the same. A bunch of lawyers are nearest the fire. <laughs> lawyers don't have the greatest reputation, but you know what? There may be a time in your life where you need one, right? And there's a wise saying that says this, a man who, has, who is his own lawyer has a fool for a client. And why do we talk about lawyers? Why are we talking about this? It's because all of us in some sense demand and desire justice don't we? We want to be treated fairly. We want to have liberty. We want to be treated with respect, equity. And sometimes there has to be adjustments made in the court of law because someone's been wronged. Right? There has to be reparations made because someone has been wronged so much, has been grieved so much, that it takes the law to step in and to make things somewhat right. It's the assignment of merited rewards or punishment. And you know what? God 
is a God of justice. It says in Isaiah 30, verse 18, Therefore the Lord will wait that He may be gracious to you, and therefore He will be exalted that He may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for Him. And when we think about God's desire and God's demand for justice, in some sense we're happy with that. In some sense we want that. But at the same time, when I begin to reflect on my life and who I am and what I've done, there's people I've hurt. There's people I've wronged. And then all of a sudden I find myself on shaky ground because the God that I want to make things right has to make things right with me. So how do we do that? And in 1 John chapter 2, it gives us this picture. And it says, my, my little children, and, and John is writing in an endearing way. He's talking about, he's writing this because he loves them. When you receive a letter, when you receive a message that's rooted in love, you're going to read it, aren't you? You're going to respect it. You're going to want, you're going to, go to know what's in it. And he says, I write to you, listen to this, that you may not sin. And ultimately, isn't that what this life has trouble with? Is sin. And what we all have trouble with. And what is sin? A lot of people don't like to talk about it anymore. We've gotten too good for the word. We call it other things. But actually sin is insubordination to God. It is a rejection of God, who He is, and His will for our lives. That's what sin is. I'm going to do it a better way. I'm going to do it my way, and I don't have to obey God. And it says in 1 John 3, 4, that everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. If you're a sinner, like me, you're running around with your own law. You're making up your own rules. And by virtue of that, you're rejecting the one who truly has that power and that authority. We're lawless. And what does it do to us? It separates us from that which is good. From the life giver. It says in Isaiah 59, listen to this. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that he cannot hear, but your iniquities or sin have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear, for your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, your lips with spoken lies, your tongue has murdered, muttered, muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. Does that sound familiar? That's what sin does. It separates us from the life giver. It separates us from God. It separates us from each other. And it separates you actually from who you really are. That's what sin does. And it ultimately condemns us in this life and in the life to come. And it would be a very sad verse if that's where it ended, right? 
if we were just left with the existence of evil. Because all of us agree that there's evil in this world, don't we? There's evil. There's something wrong. There's something broken with us. But John doesn't leave it with just the brokenness. John doesn't leave it with just the evil. He goes on to say this. If you do sin, if you do sin, then guess what? It says you have an advocate. An advocate. And that word advocate means to call to one side someone who is capable of giving you aid. And usually it was used in the context of a court of justice to denote legal assistance, counsel for defense, one who pleads another's cause is what an advocate is. Someone to make intercession for you. And isn't that good news? That because we are sinners, Christ has volunteered Himself as our advocate Someone to plead our cause to God above. And isn't that who Jesus is? You know, sometimes at my work, I have to advocate for people who are in need, whose voice cannot be heard, who are incapable of articulating what's wrong whether it's wrong in their care, wrong in their medicine, wrong in their food, wrong in their clothes, wrong in whatever. And guess who has to step in to advocate? Someone with a voice. Someone who is capable. Someone who is not laying in a bed unable to get up. You see, our spiritual lives, we find ourselves incapable. And that's why God has given us Christ to be your advocate to be your lawyer, to help you, to come to your aid beside you. And isn't that what the life of Jesus was all about? Was helping others? Oh, there's that time. There was that time in John chapter 8 where a bunch of vigilante, zealous, religious, fanatics went chasing after a woman who was caught in adultery. Do you remember? And instead of trying to find restoration, instead of trying to find her help, what did they do? They started picking up stones. They started picking up rocks. And they wanted to throw those stones and kill her. But she had an advocate. Jesus stood before those accusing men and interceded and advocated for her safety. And remember, He asked them, He says, He who is without sin cast the first stone. You can just hear those rocks dropping, can't you? Maybe some of those men were actually some of her clients. Jesus says, where are your accusers now? He says, I don't accuse you of anything. Go and sin no more. That same advocate that advocated for that woman is your advocate. And though we're lost, and though we're in need, and though we sin, Jesus stands to advocate for you. 
It says in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Think about that. Jesus knows how you feel. God knows how you feel, and He is empathizing with you, sympathizing with you. And it says in verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. But here is the the crazy thing about this picture of salvation that God gives us here. Is that not only has God given us an advocate in Jesus Christ, someone to take up our cause, to plead our cause, to help us, But we're sitting in the courtroom. We're sitting accused of what we've done and what we've rightly done. And our advocate gets up and takes our place as the criminal. And that's what it says in verse 2. And it uses this lofty term. And he himself, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And what that word propitiation means is that Jesus literally stands and appeases the wrath that is due to us as sinners. He bears it in Himself. Your advocate stands on trial for you. And ultimately we find God taking responsibility for my sins. Imagine that. God taking responsibility for your sins. And that's what the crucifixion of Jesus is. Remember, He stood on trial, didn't He? He stood on trial and Pilate, when he examined Him, he said, I find what? No fault in this man. He was innocent of all the charges, but yet He died. He was crucified. And here is the paradox of all paradoxes, that it was in humanity's rejection of Jesus, get this, in humanity rejecting Jesus, His crucifixion, that we find God's acceptance. That's a wow moment, isn't it? That because humanity, because we reject Him, because we crucified Him, God now accepts us as we are, and forgives us because He has paid the debt. And it says of Jesus that He bore in His own body our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this, For He made Him who knew no sin, which qualified Him for this, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So in the cross, there is an exchange made. There is an exchange made in the cross that I bring my brokenness, that I bring my sinfulness, that I bring what's wrong with me to the cross, and Jesus gives me His righteousness. And it says that we may become. That we may become something. And guess what? All of us are becoming something or someone right now. You're becoming something or someone. But what are you becoming? And isn't there a voice in all of us that tells us that there is more 
than meets the eye in this life, that there is a spiritual reality. And one of the greatest indicators of that spiritual reality is our moral life. We all desire to be treated fairly, don't we? We complain and rightly so when we are grieved by others. We feel remorse when we hurt others. And these inclinations that I'm talking about are not animalistic. Go talk to the zebra. He can't tell you about who he's wronged. Go talk to your dog. He can't tell you who he's raped. But go to the jail and you'll find remorse. You'll find guilt. When you come to me, you will find that as well because it's not animalistic. It's a higher order. It's an order that is grounded not in ourselves and not in the government and not in anything around us, but it's grounded in who God is. And this morality that's within all of us that calls out for justice is ultimately not how things are, but it's ultimately how things ought to be. And there's one person you'll be standing who will be standing where things ought to be. And that's Jesus of Nazareth. And the center of how things ought to be is Jesus. His goodness, His remarkable life, His forgiveness, His love as a sacrifice, as an example, His death, burial, and resurrection. And what we find in Jesus is how things ought to be. How I should treat my neighbor. How I should pray for my enemies. How I should love my wife even as myself. Even as Christ loved the church. To train up our child in the way that they should go. That they may not depart from evil. In Christ you find how things ought to be. And it's in Christ that He makes right what I have wrong. He makes right what you have wrong. So my encouragement for you today is to accept Him today and to begin where you are. Every person in this room is in a different part of that journey. But continue to pursue that truth because ultimately the truth will validate itself. The longer you seek the truth, the longer you seek Jesus, then the more true it will be tomorrow. Because that which is true proves itself, doesn't it? And if you are a person of faith, and faith is imprinting itself onto your heart to where you say, I need to begin in in full resolution that I need to get right, I need to obey the Gospel today. The Bible says that that begins in that faith and that awareness of who Jesus is, of who God is. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. It begins in that faith and in that awareness of that spiritual reality. That spiritual reality of who I am and who I need to become. And we turn from those sins, that transgression, that lawlessness, that rebellion... And we turn to Christ for answers. We turn to Him for redemption. We turn to Him as our advocate. 
to plead our cause before God the Father, to confess Him as our advocate, and to be baptized into His name, and we die to ourselves. We're buried with Him to walk in newness of life. If you're not a Christian this morning, we want to give you that opportunity with this song that we're about to sing. And if you have any need at all, whether it is for prayers of encouragement, prayers of healing, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.